Nice to be here again. Uh, this, uh, this Sangha has a particularly uh, good feeling, very mature feeling. And uh, I think we saw a lot of that expressed the other night with that wonderful dedication for the statue to Mahapajapati. Wasn't that, those of you who are here, wasn't that lovely? It's just very inspiring uh, to have this beautiful, really museum quality image of um, a, a, a woman renunciant uh, teaching in the teaching pose. Very beautiful. So I, I hope that that inspires you and all the people who come through here um, in, the, in the months and years to come. I've already asked if there's any plans to make copies of it. I think that would be fabulous you know, to, to have them to give to other people. So I wanted to offer some thoughts today on um, the topic of uh, generosity, uh, giving, you know, this beautiful quality of heart that uh, takes us, you know, the cultivation of which takes us from very self-absorbed modes to uh, very other-oriented and very selfless modes. So uh, it's a very, very pivotal part of the Buddhist teachings. It's foundational. Um, You know, the Buddha talked about it um, Really, when he was speaking for the first time to uh, a group of people who hadn't heard the Dhamma, you may well know in, in what's called his gradual teaching or gradual training, he would always start with this teaching, with the teaching of dana or generosity, offering for the uh, goodness or welfare of other people. And it figures as the first one in the list of the ten paramis, which are the the beautiful, pure states of mind that we want to cultivate. They're the states that actually distinguish, say, an arhat from a Buddha, the quality of the purity of the mind. And dana is uh, listed first among these. And um, it's said that that's done because without this quality of generosity, you can't cultivate any of the others, you know. Uh, and I remember uh, one of the uh, most frequent quotes of Ajahn Chah when he was here in this country was that as meditators, um, you know, he thought he thought it was interesting and really couldn't be any other way that in the United States we were really taking to the meditation practice, that that's the the door or the window, if you will, that the Buddhism came through uh, for us. But that um, at some point we would realize that it w- our meditation wouldn't develop very far if we didn't have a good sense uh, of the practice uh, and the experience of generosity and sila or morality, good moral conduct. So I think, I think about that a lot. I think that's very, very proving to be quite true. There is definitely a, a, a great interest in this teaching and understanding it more. I think we've been putting it out there a lot, um, and, um, but not really taking it into our hearts, maybe not really reflecting on it as much as we could. So I thought it might be helpful just to look at it a little bit this morning. It's said to be a very, very important human quality because it, it has this expansive, um, heart-opening characteristic. It's, it's, it's the antidote, if you will, for the sources of suffering in our own hearts and in our lives, greed, hatred, and delusion. If you look at your heart in the act uh, or the experience of being generous and kind towards another person, towards a situation, whatever it might be, then you, you, know, you can see that in that moment there is an absence of any kind of greedy, self-absorbed, you know, I, me, mine kind of thinking. It just can't be there at the same time. You know, greed has this contracting, pulling in energy, doesn't it? You know, it's about me and, and what I need and what I want. 
And, and so this, this other uh, energy is one that is completely going out. You know, it's, like, it, it's, a, it's an absence of that in the heart. So, you, it, you know, one can get a, an inkling of the value of it just in that because this state is a, is a highly suffering state. Greed is very, very painful. You know, this constant longing for other, this perpetual, incessant discontent with the way that things are, with what's happening right now. So uh, you can feel the experience of, of generosity or offering, giving, however you want to talk about it, as, as um, a freedom from that. It's actually in the moments when that is in our hearts, and especially when we are acting out of it, there is a freedom from suffering. So whether it's giving a gift of, of great value or maybe just holding the door for somebody or the, you know, the, a gesture, those, those little moments where you go, oh, you know, there's somebody else in my world, you know, and, and reach out and do something for somebody else, deferring to another's needs, giving time, giving of our time and our energy. This, this gesture and experience of giving in this way is very soft. It's, it's cushy. It's, you know, it's, it's light and, and a very happy state of being. Um, it also is a great antidote for that contracted energy of, of hatred, so that in the act of giving, we're free of that um, that other form of self-absorption, you know, that wish the wish to push things away because they aren't going the way that we want, and also very free of the experience of delusion. You know, the primary delusion that we talk about in the Buddhist teaching is, um, you know, this sense of, of security. <laughs> this sense of having things the way that we want them to be, um, a self-absorption that is always uh, expecting things to be the way that I want them to be, so that um, these delusions you can see when you when you understand generosity, the more that we understand it, they have they they don't they can't hold a, a seat alongside of it. So in the act of giving, we're momentarily concerned for another. And so this whole um, ignorance and delusion of self-view, of me being the center of my universe, is gone as well. So the invitation with this teaching is really to uh, reflect on these qualities, uh, the quality of generosity. And I like to look for it first. I really like to invite people to look for it in your life. Um, I, I think that because we get, we're so heady, you know, we're so caught up in the way that we think about what we're doing, the way that we think about experience, that we're actually more, more often than not missing the experience itself. So that even in the act of giving, you can be thinking about giving and not actually connecting with what it feels like. And that's the objective. That's what we want to do. So, so um, the idea here is just to begin to tune into it, to look for those moments. And I think you'll be surprised to find how kind you are <laughs> and how generous and how much this uh, energy is alive in your daily lives. You have to slow things down a little bit to do that and look a little bit more closely and just begin to create a habit of noticing more precisely just exactly what it is that you're experiencing. So there are, there are many times throughout the day that um, just in ordinary occurrences you'll begin to notice it particularly like if you have children, you know, we get caught in the duties of life and the responsibilities of life. And that's, that's a concept, that's an idea, that's a notion. So that even in, even in the moments when we're, you know, yet again caring, 
for the needs of another person. Um, we can be in this head trip about responsibility or duty or off thinking about other things and not really tuning in to the fact that, you know, my goodness, I'm dedicating my life to this person. You know, I'm, I'm doing so much for this person. I had a good example of this not, not so long ago when we were in a circle um, asking um, Ajahn, uh, my teacher Ajahn Suchito, a lot of uh, questions. And one fellow was asking about he was actually asking this from a different angle. He was asking, how do I, um, you know, that w- his work becomes rote. You know, his work be- is not, it was okay, it's not a bad job, but it wasn't all that inspiring. And yet he had to keep doing it, you know. So he wanted to know if Ajahn had any thoughts on how he could keep keep his energy happier and lighter while he was uh, on, a, on a job. And so Ajahn just asked him simply, well, why are you working? And, and he said, well, well, I've got kids, and I want, the, I want to be able to provide for them. I want them to go to college, and uh, I don't want them to worry like I had to worry about money and be paying off school loans, you know, 10, 20 years after school's out. I want to be able to do that for them. And so Ajahn said, well, you know, that's beautiful. <laughs> Tune into that. What about tuning into that? And, uh, and when I talked to this fellow later on, he said, oh, it just had a, an incredible effect on him because he realized that he would get to work and then just, you know, you, know, you, get, you get in a driven mode. You, you're not, we're not even paying attention. We're not really present to what we're doing. Routines and schedules and things like that can get so... Um, they take center stage. They fill our mind. And what is in the heart that's driving what it is that we're doing keeps getting missed. You know, it's like, it's beautiful. That's why I'm here. I'm doing this, you know, I'm doing this for them. I love them. And they're always, I was like, wow, you know, work took this whole different feel. He, and, uh, you know, he just, his practice became one of tuning into that giving. And there were other ways that he found that he was giving on the job, you know, that he was missing too, just because we get, he's in his head about what he doesn't like and what's not going right and getting it done and getting over with it, you know, getting through the day, all of that stuff. I'm sure you can all relate. We, you know, we do this. So just to notice in those moments of giving or connecting with the reason, the intention of generosity in the heart, how there's, there's such happiness. You know, that you smile. <laughs> makes us ha- makes us very happy. Yeah, you know, I get uh, I experience a lot of this, as I'm sure, sure a lot of you do, when you're connected with the uh, monastic community, and it's so fascinating to me, uh, a constant source of study, how and why it is that the Buddha set up this relationship of lay monastic in the way that he did. You know, because we we're um, in relationship with them that is constantly calling forth a, uh, a, a giving, a generosity in our hearts. You know, let me, let me do this for you, let me support you. And I have to say for myself, some of the happiest times in my life have been when I've been offering a meal. You know, and somehow it, it's actually taking off. It was, it, was not, it was just noticing that when serving the monastics initially. Now I'm beginning to notice it all the time. <laughs> You know, just fixing a sandwich for somebody, you know. Just that spirit of, oh, here, let me, let me give this to you. You know, the, the, the Buddha's wisdom comes through. It just, it's, it's an ideal uh, form of relationship for us to cultivate 
this uh, quality in our hearts. Or even not so much to cultivate it, but to actually see it. It's there already. You know, just to see it come forth. And some of the happiest times, as I said, have been when, especially when I was one-on-one with them, I have had a few occasions to support one monk, one nun, for a period of um, retreat or something like that, and to be so focused on, you know, taking care of their needs for that period of time. Beautiful, you know, beginning to see the, the goodness in my own heart. One of the things that I, I've often noticed, especially on retreat, is that um, you know somewhere in about the third or fourth day of even a nine-day retreat, or especially longer retreats, you you start to um, like every time you go to your cushion, you get a little, you have a little um, uh, Hershey kiss or some M&Ms or something like that. You see, these gifts start to appear either at people's doors or on people's cushions, you know, and it just seems to be that um, you can't keep this innate quality down. You know, once you get still, once you get quiet. It's very, it's, it becomes very apparent. It arises quite organically. The teachers are always saying, now don't do this kind of stuff. You know, it's like, you know, it's, it's just stay focused, you know, uh, that's a distraction. But you can't, you know, <laughs> you can't keep it down. It's like the, the, this, this new economy begins to develop in, uh, in retreat. It's a, an economy of giving. And um, I remember talking to somebody one time and she said that it wasn't so much the receiving that would make me happy when I would see a Hershey kiss on my Zafu, you know. But it would be the realization that, um, oh, now I have something to give, you know. Because often uh, we we wouldn't even eat these things, you know. It would be just to turn it around and be able to give it to someone else. So just tuning into these things. I think we, as I said, I think we miss a lot of this. The giving is primary. Uh, and I, I would go so far as to say it's innate. It's it's almost instinctive. Well, it is instinctive, and uh, it can be purified. It can get purer and purer. I think uh, you know in the Buddhist teachings we say that um, uh, you know that our actual our nature, our true nature, is good, and kind, and generous, and compassionate. But it's just that it's clouded over by self-absorbed thinking. And that the habit, it's so interesting to watch as meditators, isn't it? It's like the habit, you begin to see that the habit of mind is to attend to the overlays. Attend to what comes in and has something to say about these more innate or instinctive things. Or the just a simple ignoring of them. And so a lot of practice, I think, is just tuning in more clearly and more fully to the, to the fact of what's already there and kind of, you know, fanning the flame of it a, a little bit. It, the, the whole idea is to get unobstructed. You know, these are obstructions, defilements, uh, overlays. They're in the way <laughs> and they don't make us happy. And yet our tendency is to attend to all this kind of self-absorbed thinking. The effort is instead to get get to the get to the heart of the matter, get to the goodness and the kindness and the generosity that's underneath it all. So just one, one more word on that. I, I think it's important when you notice this in yourselves um, to uh, linger with it a little bit. You know, just to feel it. Can you feel that? And, and there's a, there can be a little bit of a rub there. We think, well, you know, I'm not supposed to do that. That's conceited, you know. 
or, or something like that. Like it's, it, you know, I'm not supposed to actually think of myself as a good and kind person. But we're not talking about thinking of yourself as a good and kind person. We're talking about experiencing the fact that you are. You know, it's, a, it's very different. The, the Buddhist teachings are trying to get us to direct experience. You know, not to heady stuff, but to the actual reality of what arises and what it feels like, what the experience of that is. So, I mean, this stuff, generosity, it, it's, it's goosebump material, you know. <laughs> it feels very, very good. So to, to tune into it and to, to feel it and don't be afraid to actually linger with it for a moment and uh, investigate it, examine it. What is this? Wow, what is this? Ooh, this feels like this. It feels like that. That kind of thing. So there's also this uh, effort to actively cultivate it. Act, and once we begin to see it, to actively cultivate it in the heart. And there's a lot of different ways we do it. Lots of it's just tuning into seeing what it feels like. And that experience right there starts to move us in the direction of more of it because it's very nice. And, and there's a leaning. There's, you know, the heart leans towards things that are so pleasant. And uh, so it's actually using the experience of pleasure and, and even displeasure when we're not being that way to, to facilitate the, the growth in the heart. Can you feel that? It's like you feel, oh, this, oh, this is nice. Mm, I think I'll do this. No, this doesn't feel good. No, I think I'll avoid that. You know, and it's actually happening at sort of a, an unconscious level, but that's how it plays out. So um, what the teachings tell us to notice the motives and notice the impulse to give and notice the motives and the reasons for giving, to bring those into our, bring those into our conscious awareness more. And there's this, there's this whole litany of um, reasons for giving that are offered in the, in the canon. And uh, I thought it would be interesting to go through those because you can see uh, the, their value as a reflective tool. Uh, sometimes, he said, we give with annoyance. It's like we're, we're irritated. I think it's important to say, too, that all of this is in the definition of giving. So even giving with these uh, less, a less pure heart is still giving. You know, so it's not, not to have any judgment about what we see, but just to kind of tune in and see what are the qualities of heart that are going on uh, at the same time. So, so sometimes it's like with annoyance, you know, it's like, take it, you know, that kind of thing. <laughs> and, and, and yet we're saying, take it, yeah, okay, it's yours, you know. We, there is this quality of giving in moments like that. Um, sometimes um, we give out of uh, a, a sense of, of fear or shame. And um, I know I've seen this in my own heart. Um, one time when I was on a, a retreat in another um, uh, branch of Buddhism, and I didn't, I didn't like the way that they were dealing with the offering of money. You know, um, there was, we were all given an envelope, and uh, told to go up to the teacher and um, uh, bow and and give the offering. It was all very public, and you know, um, it, it being a hardcore Theravada, <laughs> it kind of rubbed me the wrong way. Besides the fact that we had already, uh, uh, supposedly our registration fee had included the, the generosity, the, the dana. So I remember feeling uh, very annoyed by this and irritated. I didn't, I didn't like the whole feeling of the, the nature in which it was being handled. And, and yet, you know, I, I did it, you know. 
because everybody else was doing it, that kind of feeling. And I, would, I was ashamed. I would have been ashamed. I, mean, I even had the thought of going up there with the envelope with nothing in it, you know. <laughs> that's, that's a way to have it both ways, you know. <laughs> Let everybody think I'm generous, but I, then I can, ha- you know, keep hold on to my uh, my heart and the way it was feeling. So uh, just, you know, that, that sense of um, being pushed or motivated by uh, fear for what might happen to you or shame, you know. Lots of, what's very common, I think, in our culture is sort of giving in, in return for a favor. You know, like, you have me to dinner, I have you to dinner, that kind of thing, or you did something for me, so I do something for you. And it's still giving. You know, it's, it's quite possible that somebody could keep giving to us endlessly, and that wish to return that might never arise. So we want to take that into the heart and realize it's still a very good thing. But I think, um, you know, you can, you can see, the idea is to see how that feels. You know, and, th- and I think some of the giving we do at centers and things like that can be like that. Even the, the giving to teachers, I, I know I've done that. It's, it feels like, oh yeah, thank you. It feels like payment. And um, the idea is to mature out of that kind of giving. We can give with a, with a hope of getting, you know, that, that uh, sense of uh, scratching my back and scratching yours. And sometimes, this one I thought was interesting, is that sometimes our, our views and our ideas come into play. And, and we give because we think it's a good idea. So this is an interesting one to watch. Because obviously that can motivate us. Oh, that's a good idea. Let me do it. But then it, I think it's also saying, tune in and see where, where that experience is, lives. You know, it's very much here. You know, it's not being, and it's not actually being internalized. It's not kind of give, give, being given the opportunity to rise up from deep within us and come forth. I give you a good example of this. I saw myself do recently, where I was out to lunch with a number of people, and uh, uh, I was visiting some friends in North Carolina. And in the South, they have this fabulous dessert um, called peanut peanut butter pie. I don't know if you've ever had it, but it's really great stuff. <laughs> and so um, uh, one of the gals and I ordered a piece and decided to split it. And um, so she had her half and I had my half. And then uh, she took her half and passed it around the table so that everybody could have a bite, you know. And then by the time it came back to her, she didn't have any left. <laughs> so, so I looked at that and I went, "Oh my goodness, you gave you gave yours all away. You don't have any. Uh, would you like some of mine?" And I'm watching myself with this dish <laughs> with the peanut butter pie on it. <laughs> it's almost like I was going, "Would you like some of mine?" <laughs> it's like the idea. I, I really like the idea of giving it to her, but everything in my body language was telling me, you know, no, <laughs> you know, hold on to it for myself. So you could see the difference between it being an idea and the actual experience of it. Um, these two are quite common in um, lots of religious uh, uh, institutions and communities. Um, giving to gain a good reputation and uh, giving to gain heaven um, in the afterlife. You know, I know I certainly saw a lot of this myself as a, in my youth as a Catholic. There was, a, there was actually um, occasions on the big days of um, collection that they publicized. They ran a list of who gave and how much they gave. 
you know. <laughs> and it's very interesting as a motivator. You know, you want to be high enough on that list so that people think good of you, you know, or so that you think good of yourself, you know. <laughs> it's an interesting practice. You know, even the idea of gaining heaven after death, Ajahn Chah speaks a lot about this because the, the merit system in Thailand is so much a part of their culture. You know, there's so much of their giving to the monastic community is so that they'll gain a happy rebirth, you know. And um, he, he talks a lot about this in, in a way so as to uh, invite people to purify their motivation in that. You know, not to, not to put it down because giving is good, but to realize that um, the, the, the nature of that, what they're doing. Giving out of altruism ranks high, uh, ranks very high on the list, um, uh, because the, the intention is to uh, serve the needs of other people. But even this, it's said, can have a quality of, um, it can be contaminated by our ideas about what's right and good. You know, and not really being pure and, and unattached, you know, uh, so that one needs to notice and, and endeavor to purify even this quality. But the highest, the highest on the list, and this has become a major part of my practice, just to begin to get a sense of what's being said here. The highest purpose for cultivating generosity is to beautify one's own mind. To, to purify and beautify one's own mind. You know, there's, and there's, a, there's a wonderful story in the canon where um, there's a woman who was a great benefactor at the time of the Buddha, and she wanted to give um, enough cloth to make robes for 500 of the monastics. And, uh, you know, she asked the Buddha, and it's, it's his characteristic style. He, he didn't answer the first time. He didn't answer the second time. And she asks again the third time. And he says, oh, well, tell me, Wisaka, why, why do you want to do this? Why do you want to give this? And uh, she says, well, when I, when I give it, then the robes will be made, and I'll be uh, seeing the monastics come into town on alms round, and I'll recognize the cloth that I gave, that's been made into their robes. And when I see that, it'll make my heart very happy. I'll feel really good. And out of that joy, I will uh, develop a concentrated mind. My mind will be very focused and one-pointed. And at that point, the Buddha says, yeah, okay, <laughs> you can give. That's, that's, that's a good reason, you know. Really bringing home the point that, and I think what, what one's saying here, just contemplate that, reflect on what's being said, that that, qual- that quality of offering, um, making the heart happy, and focusing and purifying, clarifying the mind, is like, it's just what I was saying earlier, where greed and hatred and delusion can't coexist with that. So what happens is that that, impulse in the mind to constantly be going off to other things, especially things that are associated with I, me, and mine, is not happening. So what is a mind that isn't doing that like? Very beautiful, very beautiful state. So this is the most excellent motive for giving, to purify the mind. 
So the other, it said that the other forms, all of the other forms, intain, uh, contain some, some kind of intention that has to do with uh, either material gain or being comfortable in our own lives or feeling better about ourselves. You can feel it, can't you? It's all, it's all this self-absorbed uh, thinking. So we want to see that, that uh, true generosity, you know, through this look, uh, uh, process of just kind of observing what's going on in your heart, you begin to see that it's, it's a complex teaching. It, it, and it may not be as easy as it appears at first. You know, it, it's, just, it's a matter of tuning in and this is where the meditation practice can be so helpful because, you know, you know how in the training, in the meditation practice where we're saying, um, you know, notice when you're not here and don't, don't have an opinion about that. Don't judge yourself. Don't, don't criticize. Don't be annoyed, you know, gone again, that kind of thing. But just uh, to um, uh, notice that you're back. And fan the flame of that. You know, feel, uh, be present, be present. And so that what's happening through the meditation practice is a, a, a very precise um, training that's helping us to recognize uh, when we're caught up attending to distortions and what it's like to be back. You know, and, and to actively uh, train the mind to keep coming back when it's off. So that's, it's the same practice that is being applied in cultivating generosity. You, know, you begin to notice what it's like to be caught in self-absorption. It's so painful. And what it's like to be caught in, uh, be established in a state that doesn't have that. And, and the, you know, the, the heart begins to incline gradually over time. So it's said to, um, what also can be very helpful is to try to tune into the impulse, just that impulse to give, because uh, lots of times it doesn't get beyond that. Um, you know, the impulse will be there, but the tendencies to uh, 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 change that in some way, to alter that through thoughts of me or mine, um, will come into play very, very quickly, don't they? It's like, how many times have you had thought, well, let me do this, oh, nah. Well, okay, well, I'll do, nah. You know, it just, it just comes in like this. Uh, and so the idea is to try to get a, a more precise, even in your um, awareness of that impulse. Be aware of that, that movement of the heart that wants to do that. And um, I, I, I did this uh, game one time with some friends of mine that was very, very helpful uh, for, just for this kind of training. Uh, I invited, um, there was, there was uh, seven women and myself, and I, said, I invited them over um, for um, a little get-together. And it was going to be on a Friday night, and I think I called them on a Monday or Tuesday or something like that. And I said, okay, so here's what it's about. If you, if you can get behind this, this is my idea. Um, think about something that is very precious to you, that you really love. And, um, and then... Uh, Come to the party on Friday night and be prepared to say why it's so precious to you. Be prepared to tell the rest of us why it's so precious. And um, then we're going to draw names and you're going to give it away. And, 
you know, that was that was the exercise. Would you like to do it? You know, and they say, yeah, okay, that sounds that's good. <laughs> you know, uh, and actually, all uh, initially thinking about Friday, oh, that'll be fun. You know, but then every single one of us reporting on what happened in those intervening days. You know, in that moment when we knew what the art, we knew what the item was. We all knew it like this. You know, what's what's a precious item? And yet, what went on in the heart, the battle that took place in the next few days about whether or not to give that away, and what what would go on? You know, you know, just the like one gal said, well. You know, oh well, they don't mean something. It's not valuable. They don't mean she doesn't mean something that's not valuable. You know, it should be something expensive. You know, and, but really, it was the thing that she went to wasn't valuable, but it had a lot of sentimental value. You know, so she didn't want to give it up. And then um, another gal was saying, well, um, well, nobody'll know. Nobody'll know that I didn't actually give the thing that <laughs> I thought of first. You know. <laughs> Yeah, it made me think of uh, Ajahn Chah. He, that's the one, one point he keeps pointing to. You know, he says, uh, "You know, you know." So that's uh, very. That's the point. You know, the point in purification of the heart. So implicit in this is the encouragement to to follow through on tuning, and when you tune into this impulse, you know, um, just noticing that planning to give but not actually giving or um, giving and then regretting it afterwards that that kind of activity a very famous quote from the Buddha where he said that whenever the um, we should give whenever the impulse to give arises and um, not change the course of our actions that's pretty powerful stuff you know not change the course of our actions. And he went on to say that, you know, if we, if we noticed that, if we knew how important it was, how valuable it was in our spiritual development, that we wouldn't let a single meal go by without offering something to someone. So the methodology here, just as it is uh, with um, uh, morality or developing good conduct, um, is, you know, the methodology the Buddha gives is very simple. He says, tune in before, during, and after the act. Before, so that you're tuning into that impulse and getting a sense of what's going on there and learn from that. It's a practice. It's not, it's not, there's not any right impulse. You know, it's noticing what is the impulse and what it feels like and going from there. And uh, during, noticing what's happening as you're doing it and how it feels when you've done it. You know, that that's the, that's the main methodology for getting um, the value of this into our hearts. And there's, a, there's a lot to be said about it. I, I learn I a lot about that, particularly when I'm at the monastery and we're just offering meals. You know, um, there's a lot goes on in that practice. Any of you who've ever prepared a meal together, um, you know, just the, uh, the, the, the changes of heart, the incredible states of mind that one can get into in that process. You know, certainly we, we can see ourselves wanting to kill each other during the course of cutting carrots and things like that, you know, just over the right way to do it, you know. So you have, you have a lot of that. But I've, I've also noticed just uh, the sort of subtle attachments to the things that I've prepared and the wanting, you know, the, there's, there's a, a, 
uh, it takes a certain development it, it, that uh, certainly one works with in practice to to just you know just offer it and let it go and let it be there and and not be constantly watching to see if they're taking your dish you know <laughs> if that's the one, if that's the one that certainly there's a wish to make people happy and that's driving that but you can see that what else is contaminating it right you know, it's very, very, very interesting practice. You know, one time I carried a whole bunch of ingredients, even from the United States to, to the monastery in England. Um, I like to cook uh, muffins, and um, they don't have the proper muffin tins and everything there. So I brought all this paraphernalia with me to cook muffins for the, the monks and nuns. And, um, and that day that I did, I was just so happy to be doing it, which was lovely and great. But what often happens at the monastery is right at the last minute, just when you're getting ready to put the food on the table, 16 cars will drive up, you know, <laughs> and they'll all have food. And so your, your, your plate, which was going to be the centerpiece, you know, it was going to be the main dish, all of a sudden gets, you know, its <laughs> way in the back and dwarfed in the presence of all this other food. And, and at the end of the meal, you might notice that nobody even took any of it. You know, it could, it could actually get put on a refrigerator top somewhere or something and, and, and totally get lost, you know, in the, in the process of all this giving. And um, what happens to your heart in that, you know? <laughs> it's powerful, powerful. Keep it, keep it clean and keep it pure. So, just in closing, uh, uh, reflecting for a moment on the, the it, it's very important to see the, the spiritual significance of this um, quality of generosity. You know, he said that it's not a mere moral virtue to be practiced um, just out of some sense of what I think is right. It's, it, it's so much more than that. Um, it's not an, a, an obligation, like in tithing, like in giving to the Dhamma Center, giving to teachers. It's, it shouldn't be held as an obligation. But rather to, to you know, or any of that kind of giving just diminishes it. It, it makes it mechanical, doesn't it? it it's, just, it's just, oh, here, that's what I do now, you know. I just, uh, but actually to, to contemplate and to think about it as one of the um, primary uh, activities and experiences that we have to overcome self-absorbed tendencies in the heart, to see and to overcome self-absorbed tendencies in the heart, um, training the mind to be pure, see it as a means to, to recondition the mind, to train the mind to be more pure, and, and also is very linked with compassion as a means of expressing compassionate concern for the welfare of other people. So just some thoughts. I hope these, these will be helpful for you in your um, pra- own practice, contemplating this uh, very, very valuable state of heart and see how it develops for you. Okay. Does anybody have a few questions or comments? It's a good one, isn't it? Yeah. Lovely. Lovely. Yeah, thank you. Um, one of the 
who I uh, sort of don't think that's, doesn't deserve it. Mm. And uh, working with them. Uh, <laughs> can you say anything about that? It's a good one, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Um, there's a... Um, uh, a reflection that has to do with um, recollecting um, the the the, uh, the the value that it would have for the person, instead of um, the you know like to contemplate to to focus on um, the the fact of what this offering would be for them to support them. And um, to just bring that more fully into the heart in the moment like that. Because it's like everything, um, all of the uh, less wholesome or less skillful mind states are coming center stage and taking over. And um, so much of practice is about what it is that we attend to. And we don't, I think it takes a pretty mature practice to realize that it's just a matter of attending. It's not... Um, it's not me. It's a matter of where my attention lands and the habit of it attending in less than skillful places. So that um, a, a lot of it is just literally, a lot of the restraint and the pulling back in practice is designed to, to interrupt that habitual response. So that uh, you, you, and you, one of the things that you do is turn the attention someplace else. So turn it towards uh, something that is more skillful in relation to that very act. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. I guess what's confusing is like I'm not really sure that the effect of it would be a positive effect. Mm-hmm. Like they're asking me for something, and I'm, I'm, thinking something specific, I'm thinking something specifically, and I'm not sure by giving it to them, you know, I mean, they'd be really happy for a moment, yeah. but, but it would kind of like maybe also supporting something that isn't really good. Right. Okay. Well, that's different. And, and then wiz- I'm not sure. I really don't know. That's well, the, you know, that's where I'm sort of stuck. If yeah. I knew for sure, then it would. Then I would. Yeah. You know. Right. Right. And and doubt. Doubt's an interesting one. The, the confusion that comes in in moments like that. Um, you know, I find that uh, I, I've I've actually made a, a practice to not be driven to perform the act necessarily. That um, it, it might be the, the case that um, this is the voice of wisdom speaking and you don't know that. And the confusion can be uh, really based in a, a genuine confusion about not knowing what is the best thing to do. You know, like, you know, people say they experience this a lot, like, say, giving to, to people um, on the street, you know, who they think are going to use it to... Uh, or drink or you know take drugs or something. So what do you do in that case? It might not necessarily be helpful. You might not actually be offering. So that in that in that moment, I think it's fine to just say that I don't know. I'm not going to, and be with what it feels like not to, and to to learn through that. And then on another occasion, maybe if the heart is feeling a little bit different, say, I don't know but I'm going to, and I want to see how that feels. And learn through the direct experience of both. Because I think what what tangles us up in knots in moments like that is we're trying to do the right thing. And there isn't a right thing. There's only what's coming up in your heart in that moment, you know? So like not, not to get caught in the tangle of being correct, doing the right thing but just noticing what you are doing 
and how it feels. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. yeah mm. One more. Yeah. Can you comment on uh, giving versus giving in? Um, and the feeling that you can have that giving, um, not necessarily the monetary or physical things, mm-hmm. but giving in to an idea, for example. You think your position is the right position. And I think that one form of giving is to be generous and say, I'll relinquish this position. Yes, yeah. It can hurt you. Yeah, it could it could be perceived as weakness, but I think that's such an interesting statement on our culture, you know, that that would be weak and <clears throat> surrender, um, and kindness, and creating a sense of spaciousness, would would uh, you know, would not be would not be the desirable quality. I found that in those, um, in, in uh, lots of situations where there, I may think that um, the cultural moray is the one that's going to be perceived the best and that I should follow that. That actually, when I've had the courage to go with my heart and to be clear on what's going on in my heart, um, I've been amazed at the feedback. And the fact that, and it's actually encouraged me with, with regard to human nature, you know, that people, when they see kindness, when they see surrender, when they see generosity, when they see somebody backing off in the interest of, in, in the interest of not going to war over something, do you know, that, um, that the, the right people, the, the people that you want in your life anyway, value that. You know, so it takes, I think we're, lots of things going on with practice. We're actually taking on the culture and taking on our own belief in cultural values and tweaking them. Because it, I, would, I would venture to say that you, you, uh, you don't believe that anyway. You, you want to go with the surrender. You want to, you know, that there's a, there's a part of you that is in conflict because it seems like the culture is demanding you to behave a certain way that you think is off. There wouldn't be a rub if you didn't think, if somewhere in your heart you didn't think it was off. You know? It's interesting, huh? Yeah. So, um, dare. You know. It's a lot more, a lot more adventuresome life, anyway. <laughs> yeah. So thank you. If any anyone else has some questions, I'll stay. Be glad to stay for a little while. Thank you. Yeah.